0: Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and
1: Life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura. And keeping to our tradition, we're going to start with baseball. Morgan, take it away. So a
0: couple of big things and small things once again. Um, first, the big thing that happened very early in this week, it almost feels like it happened a week ago, which I guess as you're listening, it was a week ago, but whatever, Um So no one will be inducted into the MLB Hall of Fame this year, although it's technically this year, but they still have to have the ceremony from 2020. So, you know, semantics. I was trying to understand when the last time this happened. One article made it seem like it was 1960. Another article made it seem like it was 2013. I'm going to go it seemed like technically it was 1960 and then maybe 2013 it kind of sounded like maybe um there's like a veterans group that if you don't make it in with like the the journalist votes you can go on to the veterans something and they can vote you in I meant to research this before and then forgot because a bunch of other things happened. um either way like I I'm not, I don't, I know we've talked about Hall of Fame. But I'm like, I really don't care too much about the Hall of Fame, except when, you know, they try to vote in people and they're like, but their character sucks, but they were great players. So they should be in there. Um, the only thing I care about for Hall of Fame players from my team make it in. And yeah, like this, Barry Bond should have gotten in. Um, I still don't get why some people refuse to vote for him just because he used steroids,
1: but yet have no problem voting in racist, but, you know. And especially Barry Bonds. Because, like, I think there's some steroid users who you could argue, would they have a Hall of Fame career without steroids? Barry Bonds was good pre-steroids. so like, Right. What are we doing? Like, it's like, In order for steroids to work, like you said many times, you still have to be good before taking them. And also, Hall of Fame. Like, I know there's certain criteria and all of that, but we are saying that these are the, like, people we feel should be famous from our sport. So, if we're going to induct people who are horrible humans, we're saying horrible humans should be famous.
0: And I honestly like again my brain is like did I tweet this before our last episode or after our last episode but I'm gonna say it again so I had tweeted it must have been after the last episode because it was during this time um Ken Rosenthal was on MLB network and he right after the MLB vote and they announced no one would be getting in he he was kind the way he was saying like I knew when when uh uh Schilling was pitching he was like a good player and a nice guy and basically he was saying along the lines of he wasn't like the the Kurt Schilling I know isn't like this kind of a thing and we have to stop as a culture justifying things like that um because it's ridiculous and also like specifically with athletes if you're gonna say like uh you're so good at this sport and that's all that matters regardless of your character. Like what are we telling children? Like you, if you're good at sport you can get away with anything. Like that's what led up to that one college swimmer who I don't even remember his name or care who like raped a girl and then had 3 oh, months in prison. Yes, like that like we're going to that level. Like um, you're a good athlete, you're white, it's fine. And honestly,
1: this was the thing with the whole Ellen DeGeneres thing that drove me insane is when all of that stuff came out about like her treating minorities and staff Mm -hmm. on her show terribly and stuff like that. All of these celebrities were like, well, she was always nice to me. No shit, Sherlock. She (laughs) wants something from you. You have more power than she does. Of course. Like, what did you think? And and then it's
0: just... I saw a lot of what about isms and I'm like, it's not proving what you want it to prove. And the thing is, is like, you see it a lot with like, when there's assault charges, it's like, well, he, well, he never assaulted me. And it's like, okay, cool. A lot of serial killers never killed me. He's still a serial killer. Like, it it baffles me how much they're. Willing to excuse what he did. But the thing that made it even worse is okay, so after no one made it into the Hall of Fame, Kurt Schilling went on Twitter and said he was going to ask to be removed from voting next year, which is his last year. So he, because he thinks he'll do better with like the Veterans Commission or whatever it is, and they'll vote him in. And he was like, I'd rather be voted in by people who actually understand the game or whatever. So he can't just take himself out of the Hall of Fame voting. There, there were journalists on MLB network that were more upset that he wanted to take himself off of the Hall of Fame ballot than they were about anything else he's done. And that baffles me. Like, why is that more offensive? If you don't, okay, then I just won't vote for you next year. Even if you can't be taken off, then sure, fine. You don't want to be in then fine.
1: And this is, I think, the thread that ties our two sports together and it is our, our never ending frustration is the amount of influence like curmudgeony white guys have yeah. over our sports. Because I feel like that's a curmudgeony white guy take. Yeah. Like, you're, you're dishonoring the tradition of the sport and yes. all that. And it's like, oh, come on. Right. I'm like, fine. if he wants to take his name off the list, we will fine. That makes it easier. Right. That's another vote we can put somewhere else. Like, okay, cool. I think it's a non-story. I don't think he should be <gasps> celebrated for it, but I don't think we right. should care. Exactly.
0: Um, next is Blue Jays signed a, another kind of uh, big name in Marcus Simeon, who uh, previously played six years with Oakland, and so maybe that's why I think he's a big name because I'm like, well, I've seen him play all the time, but I'm pretty sure he's a big name outside of the west division uh he signed for one year 18 million and the blue jays are gonna do something this year because i feel like they're quietly kind of doing it but with kind of big names um because we talked last time they got george springer yeah they have marcus simeon they've spent more in free agents this offseason than any other team at 184.5 million which sounds like a lot but george springer got 150 of that uh they also signed Robbie Ray, Kirby Yates, and Tyler Chatwood, who are, I believe they're all pitchers, if I'm remembering them right. Uh, they're kind of like mid level, almost top
1: tier ish pitchers. I was gonna say, Chatwood is, has, the Cubs fans have a very love hate relationship with him. <laughs> um, but I,
0: as someone who does not like the Blue Jays, I'm kind of interested if they can like kind of really mess up the East Division. Because they're, they're, I guess it depends on if they're going to do ALNL or if they're just going to have a full East division like last year. But I feel like they could like kind of really mess up the standings for
1: certain teams, which could be fun to watch, even though, again, I hate them. But I think there's like this new class because like San Diego and then Toronto seem like the two teams where these like... Obviously, they have some good pieces in there, but it also seems like kind of anchored by these really interesting young people. So Toronto with uh, Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette Mm -hmm. and San Diego with Fernando Tatis and all that. It just seems kind of interesting. Yeah. Like a new bard.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it kind of seems like both teams, I feel like, have done a very good job of having a lot of young guys, but then having some still kind of young veteran players who can kind of anchor the team a bit without it being like an older player who's, they're just going to kind of have as a DH slash bench guy, like, like a mascot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that could be interesting. Um, yeah. I It'll, it'll be interesting. I think more so, I think they'll have more room to play if it's just an East division rather than just AL East, because I think if they're if MLB is going to do like a full East team and not ALNL, then they also end up playing the Marlins who have a younger kind of interesting team. And I think I would just like to see if all of them could kind of like irritate the Yankees and the Red Sox and like the older teams who kind of feel like they like are just stuck at the top and no one's going to beat them out. I think that could be really interesting.
1: I also think it's interesting too uh, that the blue jays are investing so much this season when like do we even know that they're going to be able to play at home and because obviously there wouldn't be fans i can't imagine there for toronto there would be any case where there would be fans but even if you just play at home that gives you like because then journalists usually have access and that gives you more coverage and so i can just see if they have to play in buffalo again that that could like kind of hinder some of their coverage. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of an interesting decision. I've been assuming that
0: they would be playing in Buffalo just considering with like NHL, they've only had Canada division. So I would highly doubt that they would let MLB come up there since they didn't last season. And considering they've had time since last season and now I would hope Buffalo... Uh, the Buffalo Stadium they've been playing in would be more up to like MLB terms because uh, I know it's a minor league, so hopefully they won't have to like scramble like they did last season.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's, it's an interesting choice when yeah. they not really have like a, a normal home.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, and it kind of sucks that they're like the only team that's doing that. Although now that I'm thinking about it, there was chalk two seasons ago, I think it was 2019, When like, I don't know if it was the Marlins or Tampa were going to have uh, split time with Montreal and they were going to have like two home stadiums, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, now I need to look into that because that like came and it was like really weird and sounded really stupid and then suddenly just vanished, which I'm sure is because of COVID. But now that would be interesting. I kind of wish there was a second Canadian team just so... I feel bad for the Blue Jays not being able to play in their home stadium. So if there was a second one, at least they'd be kind of in it with another team.
1: The one I don't get is because I can see I can get like they tried Montreal and they moved to Washington and whatever. Mm -hmm. To me, it seems really logical to have a Toronto team and a Vancouver team because Vancouver then has a natural rival in Seattle. And also you're kind of geographically diverse in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of cover a lot of the. Yeah. Like area.
0: Uh, now I'm I, okay so now thinking about how hockey when they have an expansion I wonder how that would work for MLB doing an expansion.
1: And see it's so different because like in hockey it, it, getting like talent even in the late first round but especially like third round and beyond you can't get And like your farm system is pretty small and all of that. NHL or MLB is just so different in like the development and acquisition of talent and stuff like that, that I think it would be kind of different in how they acquire players.
0: So I wrote it down for an offseason episode, but maybe like a theoretical MLB expansion team how that would work with using like NHL expansion rules. That
1: would be interesting. Like (laughs) to like protect players and see what you could end up with. That would be interesting. Yeah.
0: Um so moving on to the worst news from MLB this uh this week and that is Nolan Arenado is now with the worst team ever in baseball and that is the St. Louis
1: Cardinals. Right. That's that's (laughs) all correct. Laura signs off on all (laughs) that
0: Um, I am extremely bitter about this because, <laughs> in my head, this time last year, the Rangers were the front runners to getting Nolan Arenado. And I firmly believe, and no one can change my mind about this, that Nolan Arenado would be a Texas Ranger today had COVID not come and just killed it all. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this, and mostly I'm bitter and mad. And he had to waive his no trade clause for this, which also makes me bitter and mad. Um, I am personally offended for um, Adrian Beltray because I'm taking this as an insult to him because Nolan Arenado has said to admire Adrian Beltre. And in my head, no admirer of Adrian Beltray would go to the St. Louis Cardinals willingly. And therefore I'm insulted and I'm sure Adrian Beltre is also insulted. <laughs> and i'm just personally annoyed as a ranger fan
1: but yeah i was thinking about i'm like okay who would i like him to go to less astros yes But they already have a third baseman, so you knew that was never going to happen. Never going to happen. But I'm just, like, thinking hypothetically. Like, of all the teams, what would make me more upset? The Astros. And then I think that's probably it. Because, like, even the Yankees I would be more okay with as, like, my mom gave me the Cubs fandom. Like, the Cardinals are about the worst it can get. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'm with you. Obviously, Houston would, like, be the absolute worst. But the Cardinals are right there. They're right there. And I'm- not
1: to mention that the Cardinals over almost like screwed over everything last year because of their like not able to follow protocols slash everyone gets COVID, right? So and
0: I think I'm also like super hurt by this. Trigger warning for any Ranger fans from 2011 because this is gonna hurt. But I'm now reminded. we are coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the 2011 world series in which the rangers were supposed to win and did not win because of the cardinals third baseman so now i'm like extra just really like oh want to strangle someone hypothetically um because it just hurts it hurts a lot thank god hopefully the Rangers won't have to play them this year, but I know the first chance ESPN gets this year to play it is they're going to play highlights from 2011, specifically game six, which crashed and killed me. And I'm still mad about, and is the reason why I hate St. Louis as a city. No offense. If we have St. Louis actually offense. If we have St. Louis visitors, I don't like your city as far as sports teams go. Um, I've never been there. It's just personally, I hate your sports teams. Um, so this is yeah this feels like the worst place he could go um but it is a significant trade which is why we're talking about it um now I'm mad because I can't even call him like my favorite third baseman now he was my favorite after Adrian Beltre but now that he's the Cardinals he doesn't exist anymore and Beltre's retired so I don't have a favorite third baseman
1: Chris Bryant okay yes Because his his comments about the Houston Astro thing were probably the best thing I've ever seen. True.
0: Okay, I'll I'll take him. Um, But so he was, it's not officially official, but, you know, they just have to go through like red tape stuff. Um, Because of the amount of money that's being moved, MLB has to uh, approve the trade, which I'm secretly hoping they don't approve it. And then because Arenado is expected to defer money and has, changes he wants to make to his contract. The Players Association also has to sign off on this. This doesn't happen that often off of the top of my head that I can remember, um, but it's interesting and it kind of sounds like Colorado is gonna get uh, the short end of the deal. Because um, I, from what I've seen, there's no uh, official like list of who Colorado's getting back however Ken Rosenthal said that it would probably be like mid-level prospects no one in the top four for St. Louis no one in the top 100 prospects across MLB so that really sucks because Arenado is a freaking great
1: third baseman apparently I saw this I just wanted to point this out I saw Mm -hmm. this thing about trades that I think is so brilliant and is like Mo- like nearly always true in a trade. If you find who the best player is and it's like readily apparent who the best player is, chances are the team giving that player up loses the trade. Yeah. Even if they get a bunch of assets back, it's very rare that you give up the best player and win the trade. Yeah. Um,
0: also not only is St. Louis getting him, they're also getting $50 million from Colorado, because uh, Arenado has six years, $199 million left on his contract. He's only 29, by the way, so he's going to be playing for a long time for them. He's also, uh, Jeff Passon said this was probably going to be like one of the most complicated deals in MLB history, just because they're restructuring his contract as well, with adding um, an extra year, $15 million, an additional opt-out, which I believe is a player opt-out, not a team opt-out. And then he has to reinstate his no trade clause, which he waived in order to be traded. And yeah, now I hate him and he doesn't exist in my head anymore, um, which is an unfortunate thing. Next. Kind of been, I feel like, in limbo because it almost feels like we're not even going to have a season this year of baseball, but everyone's kind of pretending like it's all going to be normal, uh, except... Finally, I saw something where the uh, they made a proposal for the Players Association to approve, which they probably won't. But we'll go over it. Uh, I think this comes out Monday. So today, as you're listening, the Players Association, I believe, has to make a decision on this proposal. I think by like it's usually by like 6 p.m., but don't quote me on that; I could be wrong. Um, basically, MLB proposed a 154 game uh, season. I'm confused about how they're going to pay because they said 154 games with full pay. One person said that would essentially be getting paid for 160 games, only playing 154. So that's about a 5% increase in pay for players. Then I read somewhere else that, no, it's a prorated 154. Then read somewhere else, not really sure. So that's kind of up in the air. Uh, the this, this season will be delayed a month and then extend by a week. And they're keeping expanded playoffs, which is another reason it's probably not going to get approved by Players Association because they don't like the expanded playoffs because money and stuff, they don't get a split or whatever. Uh, It would start spring training on March 22nd, which is usually about when they start doing uh, spring training uh, exhibition games. And then regular season would start April 28th with postseason going into November. So... If they don't, let's say they don't approve it and they decide there's no other deal to be made, apparently the season will start on April 1st as it's supposed to. I don't really see how that's going to happen because in my mind, I'm like, well, if the players don't approve this, then they are not going to show up for spring training, which should be starting in like two weeks. So I don't really, nothing makes sense to me. Uh, Another reason why they probably won't approve it is this deal would give Manfred a lot of power in um, suspending or canceling games for health and safety reasons. So he can suspend or cancel games under any of the following conditions. So if government restrictions prevent more than five clubs from staging games in their home ballparks, even without fans in attendance, restrictions prevent or materially restrict travel by clubs within the US if Manfred determines after consolation with recognized medical experts in the Union that staging those games poses an unreasonable health and safety risk to the players or staff or the number of players who are unavailable to perform because of COVID-19 is such that the competitive integrity of the season is undermined. Basically, he can cancel or suspend games for any of the reasons they probably should have been cancelled or suspended last season and didn't happen. So. What I'm understanding is the league wants to have more restrictions because of COVID and it actually makes sense. And I kind of agree with what the league wants to do, except for like short-sighting pay, obviously. And then the players just kind of want to play and get paid. But they don't really want Manfred to be able to suspend and cancel games, which has me like in the middle because I'm like, I get I get
1: you don't want that but also someone needs to be that's what I was gonna say I genuinely generally agree with the reasons to suspend but I also agree with the players that Manfred isn't the one that should be deciding (laughs) because he's kind of incompetent so like both sides have a little bit of a point here (laughs) exactly
0: um I was gonna read like um Wow, my brain just completely left my head, and I forgot what I was going to say. Uh There was someone someone explained uh, how expanded playoffs and pay work, and in my head, it kind of reminded me of NHL splitting revenue. Uh, but I don't feel smart enough to explain so it'll be that explain
1: way. Explain it in the NHL, and you can tell me how some how some okay. you understand it because I understand the NHL. Okay, so. Go for it nhl there isn't a specific payment to the players in the playoffs that doesn't happen however how the nhl works is say i'm on a contract that pays me eight million dollars a year i don't actually make eight million dollars because i um the nhl and the players have a 50 50 split mm-hmm. so what happens is i basically make proportion so I make eight like whatever proportion eight million divided by the total salary across the league that's what I make proportionally so I have some held back in escrow so that the league can get the 50-50 split right well the playoffs count towards that revenue so the higher the revenue the more of my eight million I get to keep But also, the more of their money, the Detroit Red Wings, who were absolutely gone awful (laughs) last year, get to keep too. So, I'm helping everyone and other people just kind of get to ride the coattails of the people in the playoffs. So, that's kind of how that works.
0: So, um, another – so, part of the information I got is from Eugene Friedman on Twitter – uh, he's a union lawyer, if that means anything. He writes about uh, baseball-labor relations. So he was talking about uh, another reason why it might not be approved is that uh, MLB was unwilling to extend the dates of the playoffs last season because of the TV contracts. And so uh, it proposed, so last year the MLB proposed MLB PA proposed splitting the TV revenue increases as part of the player's share of playoff money and MLB balked. So I'm thinking that's kind of similar what's going to happen this year, but maybe opposite because MLB's proposing something and the players aren't going to like it. It's very confusing. And part of me is like, well, why am I reading this if it's not going to be approved anyway? Uh, but I imagine, based on how last year's negotiations went, that, that we're gonna look at a very small playing season once again this year. And also remember that the CBA expires at the end of this year. So, in my head, we might not even have baseball this year.
1: Welcome to the NHL yeah. with all of the labor disputes <laughs> and, and, and revenue splitting and all so of the fun, fun. stuff. <laughs> And that's all I got for MLB. And it's a great transition to hockey. (laughs) But we're going to start out with women's hockey because that's more fun to talk about. Although, unfortunately, so we had a casualty in the Isabel Cup. The Metropolitan Riveters um, had to drop out due to COVID issues which I think is interesting because to my knowledge it's the first time that a team has been like somewhat of a casualty in a bubble situation I think there mm-hmm. might have been a few in soccer but definitely not in hockey or, or basketball that I remember when there was yeah. a bubble that there was any team that was forced to withdraw so yeah
0: I don't think teams I think in basketball it might have been like one
1: player mm-hmm. uh,
0: but yeah not a full team that I remember
1: so of course that Kind of ma- meant they had to like, uh, refigure some things out because there was mm-hmm. six teams and now there's five. And so what they're going to do is Boston and Buffalo, which after the like round robin stuff are your fourth and fifth seed, are going to play a play in series of three games to decide who's the fourth seed. That fourth seed will then play the number one seed, Minnesota, in the first round slash semifinal. And then, uh, Connecticut will play Toronto which is the new team uh, in the other round. And then, of course, the winners will play each other to determine who wins the Isbell Cup. So just a little bit of a change. Definitely still check it out if you can. It's on Twitch. And I believe the semifinal and final rounds, may, I don't think the in, but I think the two rounds of the actual playoffs will be on NBC and NBC Sports, I think. but We still have NBC Sports, so definitely still watch it if you're able to. Um, so with that, it's time for everyone's favorite, climbing the corporate ladder.
0: <laughs> I look forward to this so much. I'm like, okay, I've missed so many games, but Laura will catch me up.
1: And I have to do some research, because I'm be honest, there's more, m- some conferences I pay attention to more than others. Yeah. Starting with the one I pay attention to the at least, the Honda West <laughs> division. Uh, Vegas is on pause due to COVID issues. Yeah. Kelly McCrimmon, uh, the general manager, had to coach the last game that they played because oh. Pete DeBoer was impacted. And that's kind of an interesting thing because I do remember the GM of Anaheim ended up coaching before COVID last season because they fired their head coach. So it's kind of an interesting thing when GMs have to come down and coach. It's not really a common thing you see (laughs) anywhere, but definitely happens apparently. And then so two coaches and then alternate captain slash big free agent signing Alex Petrangelo are in COVID-19 protocols. Um, I will say if the whole Winnipeg-Columbus trade is any indication, protocols vary by location because Mm -hmm. uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has had to sit out more than like Jack Roslick did for Columbus because Canada and and US restrictions are different. So I think it's probably gonna be like some combination of negative tests and, Mm. and as long as they don't get it, I think they might be able to come back relatively soon. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about Minnesota's Kevin Fiala. It's actually quite a good player. It uh, was suspended three games for boarding Los Angeles is Matt Waugh. And I think a Roy, I don't know how to say it, honestly, but <laughs> Los Angeles isn't that good. So, but I just wanted to give a little explainer on boarding. Cause I think it's one of the actually easier penalties to understand and people don't always understand. So. If a player is back is to you as the other, the opponent and what you see and what you hit are numbers, then that's boarding. And you think about it and it's, it's when they're against the boards, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is if you hit them in the like middle of the back, which is where the numbers are, you're going to kind of tend to send them head first into the boards, which there's an obvious reason you don't want to do that. So that's kind of why boarding is such a thing. And that's generally, like, you'll sit, you hear it said on the broadcast, seeing the numbers. Mm -hmm. And that's, so that's just, like, kind of what to look for. It's a lot easier to understand once you get the general principle.
0: So this is probably a dumb question, but does it also depend on, like, how hard you hit them in the numbers? Like, if if a player's standing next to them and they just, like, hit him in the numbers, but it's not, like, hard enough that he falls.
1: I think... Kind of, yeah, there has to be a deliberate, I, I don't think completely, okay, but it has to be a check. It can't just be like if you're going for a puck battle mm-hmm. and you like kind of like part of the numbers, but you're not actually like going for a hit, like it has to right. be an actual hit, okay. Gotcha. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting more COVID stuff, uh, the Sharks will play their first game in San Jose on February 13th. They have played 14, the first 14 games of the NHL by the time that happens. The first 14 games of the season will have been played outside of San Jose due to local restrictions um, that the San Jose area has because of COVID. They used uh, Glendale and the Arizona Coyotes arena for their like home games in that time, but I think they did also a lot of whole games. So Mm -hmm. it will be interesting. Obviously, not so much in the sense of like there were fans allowed at the Arizona one. I don't know if they were allowed for the San Jose games or not, but There really isn't, like, a home ice advantage because there still won't be fans for the Sharks at their games. But there is, like, you get your arena announcer and stuff like that. And also something people don't uh, understand is the boards are different in different locations. Mm -hmm. So some of them have really, like, you hear them talk about lively boards and stuff like that. And so you definitely get used to how your home arena works yeah so and that's a little less this year because you're playing so many against all of your team uh, opponents that you're a little more used to that but still I think it's kind of a thing so will be interesting to see um next the Scotia North division also known as the Canada division I first want to talk about the Flames Leaf series because Matthew Kachuk Definitely had a Matthew Kachuk moment or two. (laughs) He had a pretty controversial hit on Jack Campbell, which caused an injury. And so then the next game, Toronto is winning, very clearly winning. The game is ending. And Jake Muzzin does this very, I mean, I wouldn't call it like a shot or anything. It was more like a puck flip into like, Matthew Kachuk like the C on his jersey, so like in his stomach, it was nothing. And but then of course it's like a insulting the ego sort of thing. (laughs) So Matthew Kachuk flips, and it's a whole thing. But I just love he's so good for the game because he's such a pest, and I kind of love it. So I I I don't mind that. It it makes it entertaining.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, I also wanted to talk about the Canucks are a bit of a tire fire right now. They did win last night against Winnipeg but they've just been last night being Saturday sorry we're recording on Sunday um but they and and they got worse in the off season by virtue of their salary cap situation they lost their amazing goaltender they were going to get worse but there's some other stuff that could spell trouble so um Elias Pettersson switched agents which is really interesting to switch given that this is the last year of his entry-level deal. So he's changing who's going to negotiate his next contract, which presumably could be quite big. And he went to Pat with Pat Brisson's agency, who's a pretty big hockey agent, and also the agency that Quinn Hughes, who's also due for a contract extension, um, was with. And Pat Brisson has a little bit of history with that in that he his agency represented Kane and Taves, who were up at the same time, negotiated mirroring $10.5 million per year contracts. And so there's some thought because, so Elias Patterson um, has offer sheet eligibility. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot because NHL GMs are very reluctant to have, to do offer sheets, but it still means something. Quinn Hughes by virtue of when he started playing and there's all these cap things that if you wanna understand they go to cap friendly, has no arbitration or offer sheet rights which is kind of and some Johnny Goudreau was in this situation I think Mm -hmm. William Nylander was in this situation too basically when that happens you either have to sign a contract with your team they trade you or you just sit there yeah like those are the only options (laughs) um and but now Quinn Hughes has a little bit of leverage in that his agent is also representing Elias Pedersen. So there's some thought that they could kind of negotiate a little bit together of like, like the agent could be like, listen, this is the money we want for this and this. Mm -hmm. And like their package deal sort of thing. Now, obviously Elias Pedersen wouldn't necessarily want to use his leverage to help Quinn Hughes completely. But it's an interesting thought. And I think it'll be interesting to see how those contract negotiations kind of end up yeah um but then the last one I wanted to talk about is um surprising exactly zero people um Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid are absolutely torching the league um they're one and two in uh points in the entire NHL which is Interesting. Uh, they have 17 for McDavid and 15 for a Dry Saddle. And they, of course, when it's three on three over time, it seems like the three that uh, their coach Dave Tippett is going for is Tyson Berry, Connor McDavid, and Leon Dry Saddle. Now they play on different lines in the regulation, but it overcomes mm-hmm. such a uh like you have to hold on for dear life if you're the yeah. and the Leafs lost that way Connor Rickwell and David had a sick bowl the other thing I think is kind of interesting I just saw this on Twitter so the Oilers are playing the Senators t- tonight Sunday um and obviously the Senators have their rookie uh Tim Stutzla I think is how you say the name uh who's a German like really good player and then uh-huh. Leon Dreisadl is, of course, like the big German player. But then they signed who, a guy who was uh, played with the Penguins and then was traded to Buffalo and then wasn't re-signed at either of those teams, Dominic Cahoon, who's German. And he plays on Leon Dreisadl's line, which is pretty cool. So they have three Germans playing in this game, which German isn't like a huge yeah. ethnicity represented in the... Uh, NHL is so still kind of an interesting thing and they had a picture of the three of them together and you know for that uh, Stutzloh guy it must have been really cool because especially Dreifeld is like everyone in Germany's idol now so kind of an interesting little I was trying to think of something like that I thought, as you were saying
0: I was like this reminds me of something that happened in MLB like a couple seasons ago what was it and <laughs> it's dumb now that I've remembered what it is but um, there are not a lot of hyphenated names in MLB and there was, and one of them was a Ranger and I'm completely blanking on his name right now, but they played, an, I, I can't think of any of the names and there were only like three of them. Uh, but it was like somehow the only three hyphenated names in baseball finally ended up playing with each other. And it was like the most hyphenated names in the lineup. And I don't know why that's what. Trigger
1: it is like it's it's interesting because you see that now in baseball too a lot with like the kids of yeah. MLB stars like playing each other
0: yeah. and like people make a
1: deal of that too. and like
0: like we were talking about the Blue Jays they have like I think three uh sons of former like MLB Which, great.
1: MLB is going full hockey because most of hockey <laughs> right now is like sons of NHL yes. players. <laughs> and of course, it's the Canadian team doing it. <laughs> um, so then we're going to my division, the Mass Mutual East Division. Um, the biggest news, I think, until today probably, was Jim Rutherford, the GM of the Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins, resigned abruptly. They said it. he, he d- resigned the day after an overtime loss. the the Bruins and it was a loss but it wasn't to me it was like that that doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it was performance they say it's personal reasons there's some rumors around that it's a disagreement about Chris Letang trade that Mm -hmm. Rutherford allegedly wanted to trade Chris Letang and management was like no and then that's why he resigned because he couldn't do what he wanted to do um But I heard uh, Chris Johnston, who's a really reliable Sportsnet reporter, he was on the Staff and Graph podcast, which you should definitely listen to. Um, It has Mike Stevens from Yahoo in Canada and Rachel Dory, who uh, used to work for the New Jersey Devils and is just an all-around really interesting person she's German too. So she, she always pronounced that. So I was like, I'm going to get this (laughs) name right for her. But, uh, she was talking about, they were talking about it with him and he said that he wasn't sure that that's correct. Um, so currently they named Patrick Alvin as the interim general manager. And obviously it's an interim title, but he is the first Swedish general manager in NHL history, which I thought was surprising to me. Yeah, because I know there's a Finnish one because Columbus has Jarmel Kekalainen. So it's like kind of interesting. You pronounce these names so well. <laughs> I don't know about the Swedish one. I probably got that one right. But I've heard Jarmel Kekalainen so freaking much because he's done so much the past few years that I knew I could get that right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. They did say because there were some lists that were floating around that seemed like it was just some random reporters having fun throwing the names <laughs> together because it was like who are all the old dinosaurs who are always options because like on those lists Pierre Maguire is somehow on everyone's list every oh time <laughs> and he never gets the job he hasn't been like a general manager or coach in like 25 years so it's probably not him and I'm really hopeful it's not him but also like Peter Chirelli. like please no <laughs> um but I think Chris Johnson said that just his feeling from what he knows of how Pittsburgh is that they would want someone like younger and like more mm-hmm. different and he he's like as I'm saying that don't expect something like super revolutionary because it's <laughs> the NHL like we're not gonna get like complete glass ceiling breaking kind of thing <laughs> but we're not going to get like the bar is so low that we're not going to get an old white guy who's been a GM at four different teams. <laughs> it's like an accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also wanted to point out that Zanane Chara played against the Bruins on Saturday, a game in which Alex Ovechkin had the overtime winning goal. Uh, it was also the first game of the season for David Pasternak. So quite a lot of Excitement, intrigue, and stuff in that game. Um, and then finally, noted, <laughs> <laughs> I got a smile there. You can't see this <laughs> podcast, but <laughs> noted asshat Tony D'Angelo was put on waivers. Um, it was after he was on the ice for a prolonged shift uh, in overtime against the Penguins, where Sidney Crosby scored the goal. And apparently, there was some kind of confrontation with alexander Georgi- Georgiev. Uh, over like because your had played the pug and D'Angelo didn't think it was right and then there's some rumors that like Chris Kreider might have been involved in some kind of physical altercation but I just put in the notes for our show did the penguins end his career my column because I think it's very important to acknowledge that this happened after Uh, yeah and and I will say the penguins have a great track record of being adjacent to ending racist careers because um the last game that that Bill Peters coached for Calgary was against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it was like during the game or like right in the aftermath when like uh, the Akeem Aliu stuff was tweeted and came oh, out. That's right. And so <laughs> that's right. Obviously, the Penguins didn't end his career, but <laughs> and I don't really think the P- Penguins ended Cody D'Angelo's career, but it's just kind of an interesting thing. I also wanted to say something interesting too. If I remember right, Alexander Georgiev, uh, he had the custom mask for the bubble play-in rounds that uh, was paid tribute to Black Lives Matter. And then he auctioned it off to support Black Lives Matter. So the fact that he and Tony D'Angelo didn't get along is not exactly stunning. Yeah. And definitely Team Georgiev there. Um, Tony D'Angelo, he just, he's definitely a MAGA guy. He quit Twitter because Trump got banned off Twitter, whatever. Quote, unquote, quit. Quit. He quit Twitter and then came back as, like, clearly a burner account, which is hilarious because it was every stereotype of a burner account where it was like, NYR fan, 10 numbers. (laughs) Yeah. And he would only ever talk about Tony D'Angelo, which is like, okay, if you're a Rangers fan, it's like, plant my flag in Tony D'Angelo defense, like. Not a thing a lot of Rangers fans uh-uh. are doing, and also hilarious. Someone like because you know locations are tied to a lot of tweets. They did the locations and it like perfectly time like times with the travel schedule. Oh my god! Of the New York Rangers, so it's like they It kind of has to be him unless someone on his team is that passionately defending him. We're right. gonna go with no. Right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I will say so he's put on waivers, and part of what they said is. Like the team is very unhappy with him for a myriad of reasons, some of which are he's playing like crap. Yeah. But some of it is also that all of this crap he's gotten into online and just not having any PR sense at all. Um, the part of the reason that they, they put him on waivers, like they, they did give him a good contract in the offseason and he has shown to be a good offensive defenseman in previous years. So part of the thought they were like, teach him a lesson. And at this point they don't think anyone is going to claim him because not a lot of people are itching to have racists on their right. team. Um, I will say, I know the penguins are having just an absolute litany of defensive issues specifically on the left side, which I believe Tony D'Angelo plays on But I text or I sent a message to a mutual friend of ours and Morgan that I would rather the Penguins trade for Jack Johnson, who also plays for the Rangers, than claim Tony D'Angelo, an infinitely better defenseman, but infinitely worse human. That, like, I would much rather them (laughs) give an asset to get Jack Johnson, who I would still be fuming mad if they got Right. so that's how much I really don't like there is any any solution is better than that so I'm I'm yeah. very hopeful but this is the first test of this interim GM don't claim this guy right please so uh
0: first thing is I really hope that the rumor that Chris Kreider punched him in the face is true um I also like I was talking in one of a group chat we were talking about how we kind of hope maybe it was like a uh like, a post-game handshake kind of situation. Instead of handshakes, it's punch, and they all got to throw a punch in. That might be fun. Um, but I'm curious why they th- think this would teach him a lesson because I feel like that's not going to teach him anything. Um, if he's not claimed, which I don't think any team would claim him, like, then what?
1: They're just then he'll he the be team? on taxi squad, probably, I would assume. Okay.
0: Could they just, like dissolve his contract if they wanted to
1: i mean I, I don't think they can i don't i think i don't think he's done enough for termination at least gotcha. i think the pa would probably oppose that but what they do is they put him on the taxi squad and then what they can do which would kind of be a little advantageous for them is once you ha- when someone clears waivers you can send them up and down for 30 days without having them go through waivers again that sounds like fun, so just keep making them go. That's what the well, the Leafs did. That was it was brilliant. The Leafs, and clearly, it was a coordinated move because the Leafs needed to save some cap and they didn't have enough uh, uh, entry level contract because those are the only people you can send up and down without waivers. Huh. And so, what they did is they put Jason Spezza on waivers. And Jason Spezza's agent and him came out and said, if anyone claims us, I'm retiring. So no yeah. one would claim him and then no one claims him and then they can send him up and down. So they can send him down if it's a game he's not playing or if it's an off day and get the money savings on those off day. And then they can call him back up and play him for 30 days without having to send him through waivers again. So it's kind of a stroke oh, of genius. Smart. <laughs> I actually kind of, once that it was explained to me, I'm like, okay, I, I actually support this. this yeah. Sense. And team guy Jason opposite of Tony D'Angelo right so um yeah that's kind of interesting it'll be interesting to see what happens with him but um yeah he he, he's just a terrible human being and yeah he does nothing for the game and I will also say Chris Kreider that is an interesting point because Chris Kreider he's the like noted intellectual in the NHL yeah and he was the one, I'm pretty sure I've told this story on the podcast before, but Pavel Buchnevich, who also plays on the Rangers, when he was, like most Russians, when they first come over, spoke no English and all of that. So uh, Chris Kreider decided just for the heck of it to learn Russian so yeah. he could speak with his teammate. And Which is, is amazing. Fairly fluent. Like you said, I'm not bad, good, but I'm like he can have conversations in Russian, which not a lot of English speakers can. So
0: right.
1: pretty amazing. So him beating up guy who is racist and not open to like trying to be inclusive. It's just like, there's some poetry there. Yeah. So with that, we end with the Discover Central. And I have to point out, I wrote this on like Wednesday or Thursday and I was like, Dale is dominating. <laughs> They won 7-0, 3-2, 2-1, and 7-3, but they have a weekend series against their best opponent and fellow COVID comrades, I called them, <laughs> the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, some more info about how good they are to Cup. And then I said, inj- Injury's also forcing bonus to play players he should be playing. And then, and Laura also officially jinxed them as then they lost and then lost in the shootout on back-to-back night. And then tonight, Morgan has to update us on this whole bonus being forced to play players he should be playing. So that was
0: fun while it lasted. And then Como came back into the lineup. No, I, I don't have a, a personal issue with Como. I just don't think the FCC line should be the first line. Um, especially when Como's coming back after being off for so long because of COVID protocols. And then he's getting like immediate high level ice time and like in the first period of Sunday's game because every after every period I keep track of top three and bottom three ice time Como Cogliano and Foxo were top three ice times with around seven minutes bottom three Camano, which is has been normal the last uh couple games then you have Pavelski and Girianov neither of which reached three minutes in the first period which makes no sense especially for Pavelski who has like I think nine points now and he leads the team in points and goals scored Garyanov is also in top three in both of those and I'm just baffled once again how that's happening I think the game ended and Pavelski didn't end up in top three again I think he played 20 minutes including overtime um, Geryanov did not I don't think Geryanov reached 15 minutes in an overtime game uh again baffling although because I kept track last year was Geryanov and Hintz were the two that deserved more ice time Hintz has actually been getting the ice time he deserves which is great um Geryanov fluctuates back and forth and I'm kind of seeing the same pattern I saw last season where it's like Geryanov scores a goal and then it's like plays two minutes the next period after scoring a goal um It just, it makes no sense. Uh, There was one game, I can't quite, it might've been the 7-3 win game. Uh, Tawelski had two, accounted for four penalty minutes and still had like 17 minutes of ice time after two periods. And I think Girionov was like at seven minutes after two. Like it just, it makes no sense. Um, Last season, I saw the pattern, that bonus, if you scored a goal and your name was Girionov for hints, you played less time after that goal. If your name was Perry or Radulov and you got three penalties, then you got somehow even more ice time. Uh, And it's kind of happening that same way here. Not say, Radulov has been way better about penalties lately. So is Pavelski. Neither of them get too many penalties in the games that they played, So, and they deserve the higher ice time. It's just confusing when you've had four penalty minutes and you're still getting 17 and the guy with none with no penalties is playing like maybe 14 minutes. Kind of confusing. Um, they've had a lot of penalty kills and a lot of power plays. However... Pavelski is generally on the penalty kill and the power play. Guryanov has played some power play minutes. So still the ice times like fluctuating don't really make sense. And I would say,
1: okay, Guryanov should be on the power play. Yes. They should be actively training him on the PK, because here's the thing, like, we have Kasperi Kapanen on the Penguins, mm-hmm. who is like a speedster, sort of like Girionov-Girionov's way better, but, and the whole thing about the penalty kill is if you get someone good who's really speedy, then it becomes a shorthanded machine. Mm-hmm. And that's great for your team. But then also, even if I acknowledge that Pavelski and Girionov are going to play zero minutes of the penalty kill, even if I grant you that, after every penalty kill ever, the, uh, the team that was on the PK puts out the best players who weren't on the penalty kill, usually like their top line. Yeah. So even if they had four PKs or five PKs after every single one, you, that should be a like one minute shift for Pavelski and Guryanov. Yeah. So where's like, that doesn't make sense. And I've, so
0: like last season, I made, well, it's towards the end of the season slash playoffs. I did a spreadsheet of Hints and Girionov's ice time by game, um, a full breakdown. I'm doing that again this year for uh, Hints and Girionov, and I added uh, Delandria, who
1: was their first round pick two years, 2019, I think. Um, it was the year the draft was in Dallas, because I remember Jamie ben-, ben announced the pick. So that was 2018. 20- 18? It was before I started watching. Yeah, it was the same year Brady Kachuk was drafted. So I think that might have been 2018. Yeah, that... Yeah, 2018. When
0: was... I don't even know when Haskinen was drafted. Was he 2017? Yeah. Because... um, Because he was drafted, he, like, fourth. Because DeLandria got his first NHL goal and Uh, Ottinger was on the ice and so was Haskinen. And it was, like, those three were all first-round picks within the last, like... Five years or so um and Delandria he's freaking fun to watch like I feel like he's gonna be like a Girionov hints kind of player um and he was getting I was really surprised there was one day that he got like 16 minutes and Girionov had like 14 I was like no like no offense Delandria but like those should be switched and then like then like since then he's been getting 10 minutes and 10 minutes and it's like I'm the logic isn't there for me so I'm also keeping track of him because again I feel like him. He, he's gonna fall into the Geryanov and Hints uh, area for Rick Bonus. Um, also, I was really excited thinking that. Giryanov was going to get more ice time considering he was technically in the first line with Hints and Bin at first, and then when Ben got injured, uh, Pavelski, and then somehow I don't understand how this happens. Pavelski and Hints would always get top ice times, and Giryanov didn't, which they're all on the same line. So in my head, I'm like, aren't they supposed to be getting all the same
1: ice time? This um, is a trick though that teams do because if you remember the Leafs at the beginning of the season, the top line was uh, Marner, yeah. Matthews, Thornton. And what that really meant is, like, a good maybe 50-ish percent of the time, that was your top line. And then the other half of the time, the top line was Marner Matthews Hyman. And so it's just, like, they say one, but then they switch it all around all of the game. Yeah. Um, The other quick thing about Sunday's game,
0: Jamie, Ben was back from being on IR for, like, a few days because of, they said lower body injury. I believe it was a knee injury because his knee, like, basically... Gave out from under him during in the very first game of the season. Uh, I don't know who coined the term, but to, when he's on the line with Guryanov and Hints, I think I, maybe I saw it from Tumblr. I don't know if it's Twitter. Uh, Benny and the Jets, which I freaking love. Love that. that. So, like, we have Benny and the Jets line and FCC line. Like, we have at least good names for lines. We've got that for us. Um, but Jamie Benn did score a goal in Sunday's game, which... Uh, according to the broadcasters and myself and probably Jamie Benn, he will count as his 300th goal. Um, Because if you can remember all the way back to February of last year, he scored a 300th goal. Then it was given to Klingberg. Then it was given back to Jamie. Jamie was like, I never touched the puck. It's not my goal. Then they changed it back to Klingberg. And then NHL decided to give it back to Jamie. And he's like, I never touched the puck. It's not my goal. So he didn't want to count that as his 300th goal. And then I went to the dreaded 5-1 loss to the St. Louis Blues, thinking he was going to score his 300th goal because that was also his bobblehead night. And then he didn't play in that game. And then I think that was the last game he played in for the regular season until – and then COVID happened, so he never scored what he believed to be his 300th goal. And I guess he didn't count any goals he did postseason as – those don't count as regular season goals, right? Yeah, they don't count. So apparently, according to the broadcast, this was his official, official 300th goal. Um,
1: I'll count because it was a beautiful goal. I, I'm, I support. I think, yeah, he should be able <laughs> to get like a legendary moment. For it that. was a wraparound goal and it was,
0: it, I think it tied the game. I can't remember. There was a shootout and it sucked. So
1: that's really all I remember from the game. <laughs> Um, I have a few things for Columbus. Roslevic, their hometown acquisition, played. Laine, their other acquisition, is still on injured reserve. And I mostly brought this Columbus up because Alexander Texier had an amazing, probably the best shootout goal I've seen this season, where it was like a one-handed backhand after making like a really thick move. So definitely worth a look. Um, Shootouts suck. I think we can all... Agree. acknowledge that that it should be more uh, three on three over time is at least better but if we're going to have them i at least have to acknowledge when they're interesting and then finally uh some random detroit red wings news jimmy howard their goaltender officially retired it really wasn't a surprise he hadn't signed with them since last season he hadn't signed anywhere so it was just more of an announcement than anything but then in, in talking that, I encountered a random, I'm calling it Red Wings or bad stat, which <laughs> these are kind of fun when you have legendarily horrible years, like the Avalanche did a few years ago in the Red Wings yeah. last year. You get a lot of good stats. So I have to give credit to uh, Prashanth Ayer. He is uh, the Athletic Detroit writer. And here's their stat. The, uh, since October 29th, 2019, the Red Wings are 0 26 and four meaning 26 losses and four overtime losses in games where the goaltender of record was not jonathan bernier so jonathan bernier may have played but the goaltender of record was someone else oh my god that's horrible and jonathan bernier not an elite goaltender (laughs) But he kind of, like, to the extent that the, Go- the Red Wings had any success at all last year, clearly it was Jonathan Bernier. Was yeah. Um, a couple other things I wanted to make a little note of. I forgot to add this to the West section. Uh-huh. Minnesota had an update about their 19-year-old, I think it's Marco Rossi or something like that, a prospect who has been on the injured reserve with an upper body injury. They disclosed more information about this, and I think it's really important to talk about He had in the off season had battled coronavirus and is still battling some side effects and like seemingly like lung Mm -hmm. complications due to it. So I think it's just important to note of how this can impact anyone of any age, even high functioning, really athletic professional athletes. It can really be debilitating. So I just thought it was interesting and I'm glad they finally disclosed what it is because I think there was a lot of speculation, and the NHL is great. I saw this on Reddit one time, because uh, a guy will take like, well, it'll be like the one where like their 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 leg twists really awkwardly, mm-hmm. and for the rest of the season they'll be out out long term with a lower body injury, and it's like he broke his leg. We yeah. all can see he broke his leg. <laughs> like you don't need to hide that; everyone knows it. But then. The New York Rangers, like perplexingly, a couple seasons ago, were like David Dayarnay, who's not even in the league anymore. But David Dayarnay will be out for the next few games uh, with kidney stones, and so it's like we can't and, and <laughs> Reddit had this thing. So, God forbid we say the obvious leg break is an, is a broken leg, but we're going to tell you that a guy is pissing rocks. Like we are going to tell you that. <laughs> and so there you go that's the NHL so I'm glad they finally revised upper body injury to like what it actually was yeah so there's some interesting stuff so with that I think it's time for rant and rave do you want to go first sure um because I thought of my rant
0: as we were talking about stars because I didn't rant enough during that um since we were just talking about how much we hate shootouts I specifically hate How Rick Bonus does shootouts, shocker, I know. Um, Luckily, for the most part, he usually goes Pavelski and Sagan as first two. We don't have Sagan, so that sucks. Uh, Sunday's game, he went Pavelski first. Pavelski did not make it, which freaking sucks because I always count on him to to make the goal. And before the shootout, I tweeted – swear to god rick if you put radulov in there and then i used the uh uh gif from little rascals where she crushes the can because that's my emotion because he did it and monty did it too and it drove me nuts because radulov's not good at shootout uh the specific game that is burned in my brain is monty was still the head coach i believe it was 2019 beginning of the season Radulov had a penalty shot, god-awful. It was awful. He didn't make it. Literally, that happened five minutes before we went into a shootout, and he had Radulov in the shootout. And he did the exact same thing he did in the penalty uh, shot, which was atrocious. Like, I've never played hockey before, and I feel like I could have been a little bit more deceiving than he was. Uh, Maybe not necessarily still make the goal, but it still would have looked a little fancier. So, and every time they picked Ragilov, he's never, from my knowledge, I think he's made maybe one last season, uh, but it's never really looked good. And then, of course, he picked Dragulov, and Dragulov was the only one to make it for the Stars, which, of course, because I tweeted it. Uh, But his third shooter was Jamie Benn, which I get because he had scored a goal in the game, so that made sense to me. Him and Monty both did that. They said they always based it... uh, Based on, uh, before we had Pofelski, it was always Sagan was going to be the number one shooter. Then it was kind of Jamie Benn was always the second shooter. Uh, but they always said they based it on who looked good in the game, who scored a goal in the game. So Jamie Benn being the third shooter, I I saw that coming. However, put Girionov in the freaking shootout. Like, I don't understand why him and Hints are always, like, the fourth or fifth shooter. I think we talked about this in the playoffs. Maybe not playoffs because there wasn't a shootout. But I think... I feel like I remember us talking about this, so maybe it wasn't on the podcast, but it was just when we were talking. But it was like, I think they had four shooters, and then in the post game, uh, uh, Bonus was like, Well, I was going to go to off next. And it's like, Don't go next. You don't even know the next is going to happen. Just put him in. And that's my rant, because just put him in the dang. Like, we've seen him in a penalty uh shot situation but that was the winter classic and he was freaking nervous as hell and you could tell but like I feel like he could he could be so slick and deceiving in a shootout I just feel it in my bones that I just feel like it should be Pavelski then Girionov and then do whoever you want who had a good game if Sagan's not in the mix otherwise give me Pavelski Sagan and Geryanov. Just try it. If you're going to let Radulov
1: have all these shots, at least let Geryanov have a shot. I have to say the Penguins at least were good on this because our first shoot out of the season and they had Crosby, Gensel, or Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. I was like, why do we have Latang? Because Gensel is so good. Like, why are we doing that? And then it's tied after three, and so then it's sudden death and Gensel, I think no one had scored or someone had scored it was like Crosby yeah. and then Gensel scores and then it's one. And so then the next game, it's Crosby walking Gensel, I'm like we learned.
0: <laughs> and see that, that happened. I think after that Radulov penalty shot and then penalty uh, or then shootout, Monty learned the next time, I think it was. Pavelski, Sagan, and maybe Ben. I can't really remember. I know Radulov wasn't part of it. I was like, oh, he learned not to put Radulov in. And now we're back to that, which again, I feel weird for being mad that he made it because he was the only one of the three shooters that got a goal. But I'm still like, it's weird to be mad about that. I, I
1: realized this, but we still lost. Um, I didn't have a couple updates for hockey going on right now and stuff going on right now yes. so before i get to my rant, i wanted to do that first of all this the senators and oilers are playing and last i checked there was five minutes left in the first and it was five one oilers and mcdavid and tricidal had three points each oh my god so, like someone was saying steve dangle was saying he's really mad at himself that he didn't see that they were playing and bet the over on total goals for the game because like, that's the easiest money because yeah. <laughs> there's no defense. The The senators are terrible <laughs> and uh, McDavid and dry settle. <laughs> so um, I also wanted to say blue Sharp banter, which is like uh, one of the, I have to look and see uh, the, it's the SB nation site. For the uh, New York Rangers, mm-hmm. did some journalism and I thought it was interesting. Now I will say the Rangers have denied this, but it seems like they they didn't go with nothing. It said, "This is a direct quote from their piece." Furthermore, three separate sources independently confirmed to Blue Shirt Banter that there were concerns at various levels of the organization regarding D'Angelo's treatment of rookie defenseman Kandray Miller, Laurel, Laura Editorial here, who is a black player. Okay. Uh, Sources did not wish to go on record with specific examples, but indicated that it was an issue that caught attention and ire of multiple players in the organization. Additionally, sources say tensions have been building up in the locker room prior to the incident on Saturday night. Since then, the original since the original publishing of this story, multiple sources confirmed to blue shirt banter. One incident that involved D'Angelo keeping the puck from Miller's first oh, NHL goal scored against the Buffalo Sabers on January 26. D'Angelo was on the ice. Who was on the ice for Miller's goal? Collected the puck from the net, as shown in the GIF below. So, I also want to point out that he has a history of in juniors. He was suspended for a racial slur, like is a history of causing a lot of conflict and stuff like this so this isn't like like the ranger says it's categorically false who knows um i will just say the fact that i don't automatically take this is categorically false to be true (laughs) is a sign of who tony d'angelo is
0: yeah and three independent sources confirming it is yeah and i
1: don't know who their sources are and how high up and all that but Interesting. So, anyways, my rant. Um, so this whole like obviously the big news story of the week outside of the sports was the whole GameStop Robin Hood stock thing, which I'm not yeah. even gonna try to explain. I read some stuff about it. Definitely encourage you to read about it, but I just got a rant at people who uh were saying like basically that this is like victimization and whatever of hedge fund managers cry me a river seriously and also got to point out because I am all for like problematic corners of the internet and calling them out and I am sure there are some problematic things about Wall Street bets because people who invest a lot of time in like making their own stuff of course there's some of them but I think this is important and something I always talk about in sports in every group of people, there's a portion who are horrible human beings. Mm-hmm. See, Tony D'Angelo. On every <laughs> hockey team, there are horrible people. In every hockey fan base, there are horrible people. The more people you get, the more raw number of horrible people. Yeah, you Definitely focus on the percentage of horrible people. So I have no doubt that people who are funded by Wall Street, or hedge fund managers themselves want to make this wall street bet site disappear. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to go there and find the one or two absolute morons who say racist things or sexist things or whatever else. And then be like, see, these are racist. And then some people are going to be like, Oh, and then who are previously like cheering them on are going to abandon them. They want that to happen. So like, maybe don't let them. Definitely condemn racists. Not saying don't do that, but don't just take people like taking screenshots of one or two random posters because in any subreddit, those people exist. Mm-hmm. It's the amount of those people, and from everything I hear, that Wall Street bets is not—it's not like Trump Reddit 2.0 or something. So like, just don't play into their narratives. Because I will say the one thing that this has done and why they're doing this, and I know I sound a little conspiratorial, but (laughs) I think it's warranted in this case, a vast majority of Republicans and Democrats actually agree on this. Basically anyone who isn't filthy rich agrees on, like supports what Wall Street bets did and is kind of troubled by some of the stuff they found out about hedge funds. So when that happens, they have to find ways to split us up. Yeah. So maybe let's like take a breath before we let them do this. <laughs> like we can all agree that like fuck the hedge fund managers, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that shouldn't be controversial.
0: <laughs> and my mom is telling me kind of like punching racist. That's not controversial <laughs> at all. <laughs> like does, that should happen.
1: Uh, my mom was telling me uh, that basically, so shorting stock is this whole thing. I'm not going to go into it, mm-hmm. but hedge funds had shorted 140% of game stocks stock, meaning they shorted more stock than there were shares. And that's why they were freaking out about the stock price going up because there were so m- there were more sh- more shorts than there were actual shares of GameStop stock. My mom, who's a little conservative and leaning, was like, does no one see the problem with the fact that you can short more, like you can't buy more stocks than there are. Right. Why can you short more stocks than yeah. there? Like that's really stupid. And so like, like I said, my mom, who's definitely on the conservative bent of things is like very supportive of the people who like brought down the hedge fund managers and stuff. So like I said, please just everyone take a breath and do some research before you're quick to throw aside anybody or just believe the narratives that like the Wall Street Journal and those kind of people want you to have. As an aside to that,
0: uh, there was like a bunch of headlines that Ted Cruz and AOC agreed on this which they did, but I just liked AOC's response to that and was like, that's cool, we agree, but you tried to get me killed in the insurrection,
1: so don't talk to me about that, which I thought was an excellent reply. Um, Because she wouldn't say that to everyone. Right. Like, it's uniquely Ted Cruz, because she did say in that same tweet, she's like, I will partner. And I I fully believe, I fully believe if there was legislation that came from the Senate that, like, had co sponsor she would still vote for it because mm-hmm. but she's just making the point of like we're not gonna like you're not gonna we're not gonna be the partners the crusaders yeah. together on this no that's yeah. not how this works so like I loved that yeah and, and she made it perfectly because she said it wasn't it was just like it's you it's specifically you <laughs> which, I, which I can't
0: blame her um So my rave, I had a lot of trouble deciding a rave this week because I was just kind of having a doubt in weeks. And then the Stars had a couple rough games. So I was like, well, they can't be my rave. Um, Except that right before we started recording, the Stars did a good tweet that I thoroughly enjoyed. And if you are an Office fan, you will also enjoy. So if you remember back in the playoffs, the Carolina Hurricanes tweeted that they would be rooting for the Stars because Petty loves Petty. So yesterday, Saturday, uh, Carolina Hurricanes tweeted, hey, Dallas Stars, just a reminder, we aren't rooting for you anymore. Then today, Dallas Stars quote tweeted it and said, guess it's official. And then took the scene um, from the office when uh, Michael breaks up with Carol And Dwight goes into the office and says, we're getting rid of everything that reminds you of Carol. Instead, it has the Stars logo on Michael. Uh, I just blanked on our mascot's face on Dwight. And he's like, we're going to get rid of everything that reminds you of. And then they dubbed over it and said, Carolina. But the best part about it is um, the slamming of the door on blanked on the character's name but he has the uh Nashville logo on him it just slams the door on him it's a great 15 (laughs) second video and really brought up my mood from that shootout loss
1: so I have like the opposite problem of you I have I have like three raves okay perfect
0: because that makes me feel better about my kind of lame rave
1: (laughs) so I have to first say like fully eating a little bit of crow on this one so far so far, I I, I strong emphasis <laughs> on so far. Cody CC doesn't suck, which is, is baffling to me. Yeah. Um. So, here is from Jesse Marshall, who's our great athletic writer for Pittsburgh. Uh, the circumstances co- being that we already were really de- like depleted on defense, and then Chris Letang got hurt, called for so Cody CC to big be, be big tonight. 18 minutes of time on ice, 54% control of shot attempts. So when he was on the ice, the Penguins got 54% to the Rangers 46, 79% control of the expected goals, similar sort of thing. So expected goals based on like location and shot quality and shooter and that sort of thing. Penguins were expected to score 79% of the goals when Cody Cece was on the ice compared to 21% for the New York Rangers. Big minutes against big competition. I did not think I would type this sentence, but Cody Cece is a rock right now. And he really has played well. And everyone, I was like, I was, I was not super stoked that we signed him, but I was like, well, he, he's going to be better than Jack Johnson. That's just an empirical fact. So, as long as he's better than Jack Johnson, he can be kind of our bad third, but defensing. Then everyone gets hurt, and he's actually not been that bad this season. So, fully happy to rave about Cody CC. Um, second thing baseball related Jock Peterson signed with the Cubs, and I just want to rave about the fact of his brother Champ who is the coolest ever. I believe he has Down syndrome and it's just the cute, he's so awesome. And apparently like everyone in the Dodgers locker room loved Champ Peterson and it's just so cool. So very excited to have Champ. And that's
0: like a recent signing too. Yeah. It's kind of surprising.
1: Yeah. I kind of came out of nowhere, but I'm like, Oh, we get Champ Peterson. (laughs) I don't really care about Chuck, but we get Champ (laughs) Peterson. (laughs) so and then finally something i forgot to bring up in the d'angelo stuff but i feel uh deserves mention hockey twitter is in fact undefeated and there are many great tony d'angelo tweets but i'm going to call out two that were in our group messaging one that morgan found which is tony d'angelo is about to hold a press conference at madison square total landscaping which (laughs) is you have to get the rest reference if you're from America. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and then mine from uh, acting the foolman, which is a great like Leafs account. Uh, roses are red. Candy has flavors. You're met and an asshole. That's why you're on waivers, <laughs> which um, I just love. So Perfect. Was, those are my race. <laughs> those were so good. So there you go. And I kept building. I had the Cody CC doesn't stuff to start the episode, and then I just kept adding to them as the episode was <laughs> going on. So, good note to end the episode on. Thank you all so much. We'll be back for next week. More climbing the corporate ladder, MLB news, and hopefully, Tony D'Angelo is completely irrelevant by next week. <laughs> Bye, guys.